Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Ezra chapter 1, please. Ezra chapter 1. So thankful that you've decided to join us this morning, and uh, I am loving the fall weather. It means winter is right around the corner. <sighs> Such a good time. I love the cold. There was a uh, social media post that went out this week that said basically something to the effect of, you know, where do you want a vacation? And I said, the Yukon, where it's cold. Can't wait till winter is upon us. But uh, the weather can be pretty crazy. And I don't know if you remember, but back in 2005, there was a hurricane called Hurricane Katrina. Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, Hurricane Katrina is recorded as being one of the most devastating natural disasters in U.S. history. So August of 2005, the tropical storm emerged off of the coast of Florida. Just two hours before hitting landfall in Florida, it became a hurricane. It switched over and became Hurricane Katrina. It briefly weakened as it passed over southern Florida. It needs water and different things to continually build. And so it passed over southern Florida. But when it hit the warm water of the Gulf of Mexico it began to intensify very quickly. Katrina quickly became a Category 5 hurricane, which if you know anything about hurricanes, that's not good. That's a really, really big hurricane. Just before it hit its second landfall in New Orleans on August 29th of 2005, it had decreased to a Category 3 hurricane. But Katrina's power had caused some severe problems with the flood protection of New Orleans. This left over 80% of the city underwater. 80% of New Orleans was underwater, not to mention many things were already completely flattened by the consistent hurricane force winds. So what actually happened is as it came in, the trajectory it took, it kind of spun on top of New Orleans. And so it just sustained winds for a super long time and had flattened all kinds of different things around it. The city, if you remember pictures, was literally left in ruin. I mean, you could not tell that it was New Orleans. You couldn't tell that it was even a city. It was basically flattened and full of water. The U.S. Coast Guard was airlifting people off of their roofs. In fact, people were climbing up into their attics. And the governor of the state, if I remember correctly, said, make sure you carry an axe with you because the water's going to rise that high. And sure enough, the water rose high enough for people to have to axe their way through their roofs and sit on top of their roofs. If you can imagine, life for the people of New Orleans and for that area would be much different in the days ahead. The city was a shambles. Parts of the city, again, were unrecognizable. And it's been reported that 600,000 people had been displaced from their homes. 600,000 people had been displaced from their homes. For some people, that was the end. That was it. For others... They recognize the need to begin rebuilding their homes. Many people, after they've been displaced, some went to Washington, D.C., others went to Indiana, other people went all over the place, and still now, 15 years later, those people have never returned to New Orleans. However, in the very few days afterwards, there were people that returned to New Orleans and began the process of rebuilding their homes and rebuilding their city and rebuilding their lives. Rebuilding for them meant starting over, literally. Their house was no longer standing. 
Rebuilding meant for them moving forward. Hey, we can't look behind us. We have to move forward. Rebuilding meant overcoming. And rebuilding meant not allowing the past to overcome you. We are now 15 years after Katrina hit. 15 years after Katrina hit. And the city has been rebuilt. The city looks different than it did back in 2005. But it has been rebuilt. So I want to introduce to you a new series this morning on rebuilding. Rebuilding. Sometimes our lives need rebuilding. Sometimes things come into our lives and completely destroy us. They completely wreck what we think we had going. We think that God has uh, given us many things and sometimes we lose that. Oftentimes it can be a slow, erosive process where just over time it just slowly erodes away and we look behind and go, oh my, look how far we've come. Other times it could be quite an explosive event. It could be an explosive event like a hurricane. It could be an explosive event like an accident in our lives. It could be all kinds of different things where it could just be very quick. Sometimes it's emotional. It's an emotional problem. Sometimes it's a physical problem. Sometimes it's physically, uh, maybe it's our health or something we can see, but it's almost always a spiritual problem as well. You see, most things are tied to your spirit. And so your emotions are often tied to your spiritual well-being. Your physical well-being is often tied to your spiritual well-being. The book of Ezra is a wonderful book had the opportunity to read it again this week and study it and go through it. And the basic premise of the book of Ezra is rebuilding the temple. The temple had been left in shambles. So let's take a look at Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that's very key, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Watch verse 3. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. Again, I want you to understand that the book of Ezra was written as a thought process of how we are going to rebuild this temple of God in Jerusalem. You say, well, what happened? What happened that the temple of God, the temple needed to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? Well, we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study. Go over to 2 Kings chapter 24. For most of you, this won't be very exciting information. But if you'll follow along with me, hopefully we'll be able to apply it to your lives this morning. 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 10. 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 10, the Bible says, At that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
came up against Jerusalem and the city was besieged. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar comes and besieges the city of Jerusalem. Basically, they encamp all the way around it and they are there not going anywhere and they're not letting any supplies go in or out. They're basically starving the city to death. Verse 11. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said, verse 14. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. So anybody that was of high integrity, anybody that was a, a king or a prince or, or very good person, he took. He left all the poor people there. He left, if you will, all what he thought were the worthless people that could not do anything for him. He left them there. So over 10,000 people are taken captive. Hopefully you'll be able to equate this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that group. And so this ties into the book of Daniel as well. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it, Daniel 1.1. So this all ties together, and I want you to understand that this came very quickly. This was a disruption. This was a tribulation in their lives. And so here they are. King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he wants to conquer the land of Judah and take it for himself. And sure enough, he does. The king gives up. Doesn't seem very, uh, very bravely, does it? Just says, uh, starts walking out to the king of Nebuchadnezzar with his family and with those that were around him and says, here we are. You can take us. And they go in and take 10,000 people out of the city, people that would be helpful to him. But the, the story doesn't stop there. The Bible continues in 2 Kings chapter 25. Look with me in verse 8. The Bible says this. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is in the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzar Aden, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem. Now look what he does in verse 9. And he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. So not only are the people gone, but now their houses are gone. They've been taken captive away and now this captain of the host has burnt their houses with fire. Look at verse 10. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. So now they burn everything. They break down the walls. Here, basically, simply, it's like a hurricane came through. It's like a hurricane came through and flattened everything. Oh, sure, there were a few houses left. There were a few things left, but there was only poor people there. There was maybe some flames still glowing from the burning embers and the walls were knocked down. The walls are very important 
in that area because the walls protected the city from outliers, people that would try to get into the city and destroy the city. And so Nebuzaradan says, no, no, we're going to take care of that. We're going to decimate this city. There's quite literally nothing left standing except for probably the poor people's houses if they had a house. And if you look further down in the chapter here in chapter 25, you see all the things they ended up taking. They ended up taking the pillars. They ended up taking all kinds of things from the temple and completely destroying it. Now here's the saddest part of the entire story to me. It's no... We never like to see God's people being destroyed. We never like to see the temple of God being broken down. We, we like to see those things lifted up and, and, and held in a wonderful place. We enjoy seeing the victory of God. So we never like to see this. But here's the saddest part of the story. The saddest part of the story is this. It stayed that way for what the Bible records for over 50 years. It stays in that state for over 50 years. There was no hustle and bustle. It was uh, the, the, the uh, people that were in uh, New Orleans at the time said it was just eerie, eerily quiet. There were no birds singing. There were no people talking. It was eerily quiet. So I can get the same imagination, but it was eerily quiet for 50 years. Oh, there's some people there. There's some people there that are seeing what's going on. But the, there was just bitterness. There was rioting. In fact, if you take any time and take a look at the book of Jeremiah, Ezra begins to show us that, that Jeremiah uh, is a prophet during this time. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you will understand how desolate, how desolate the land was, but also how desolate the people's hearts were. The people's hearts were just desolate. In fact, Jeremiah preached and 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 preached. And not one person ever came back to God. Not one person ever gave their life to God and surrendered themselves to the King Almighty God. If you're in the habit of writing things down, take some time and write this. Tribulation will either propel you to production or drain you to deprivation. Tribulation will either propel you to production or drain you to deprivation. And so if you look at this story, you see their, the people are just drained. They have no fighting in them. They have no uh, power within them. They're just drained of the things that they had once had. And so here they sit in deprivation. They're deprived. They're just sitting there overwhelmingly difficult things in life. Listen, I, I look across the room. I don't know your entire backstory. I know most of you. But maybe some of you have been through some difficult or serious things in your life. You've had some things that came through and some tribulation that maybe just drained you. Maybe the COVID-19 has just sucked the life out of you. Maybe you just don't know which way to turn anymore. Maybe you're just not sure what to do. Can I challenge you with this? Maybe it's time to rebuild. Maybe it's time to rebuild not just your life, not just your physical life, but your spiritual life. Maybe you've gone through some overwhelming difficulty. 
Jeremiah the prophet, as I said before, preached. and No one ever turned to the things of the Lord. In fact, they took Jeremiah and they ended up throwing him into a dungeon for his preaching. So spiritually speaking, these people were deprived. There were all kinds of people that were literally looking at the ruin every single day and doing nothing about it. They could see that the temple was in shambles. They could see the devastation. They could see the deprivation, yet they did nothing. They could see it. You would think, oh, you may be poor. You may not have a lot, but surely you could rebuild the temple of God. Surely you could put in a little effort. Surely you could move forward in your spiritual life. Listen, God has left you as a remnant here. Surely you could do something. But it was all in the plan of God. In fact, it took a heathen king to do something about it. If you'll go back to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. It's not Ezra who comes up with this idea. It's not Ezra who says, hey, the temple needs to be rebuilt. It's actually the king Cyrus. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So it's a worldly king it's not even a a follower of God we we tend to believe that through all of this through Daniel and all these different things Cyrus believed on the name of the Lord we tend to believe that but listen it took a worldly king not one of God's own people to do something about the deprivation so you might be asking yourselves the question why didn't one of the Jews come up with this Why didn't God stir up in one of the Jews? Why didn't God use one of them? Well, I want to show you three things, three attitudes, perhaps, that often keep us from rebuilding. I want you to see, number one, they were numb. They were numb. You say, what do you mean they were numb? Well, when you live a certain way for a while, you become numb to the need of change. When you live a certain way for a while, become numb to the need of change. It basically erodes your feelings and buries them. Perhaps maybe you've gone through something extreme, an extreme trial, and something exploded on you. Sometimes you become numb to emotions and feelings. I remember, again, reading about World War II and the men going through that, and death became numb to them. It was just common Today, man, death is a major deal. When somebody passes away, we mourn and we sorrow. But listen, World War II, people were dying all over the place. They became numb to that. It was commonplace. You just don't care what your living conditions are like. Some of you may have seen the TV show called Hoarders. Whew. Wow. These people have a real disorder, a uh, medically, medical order called compulsive hoarding disorder. Basically, they were numb to the fact that they had a problem, that they kept things like garbage, like food, 
all over their house. And guess what? They just, they didn't care. They became numb to the fact. And you and I would walk in there and go, oh my goodness. What in the world are these people doing? Why in the world are they living like this? Listen, every one of us has one of these problems somewhere. My garage is that problem. And I remember, this is, this is the dead honest truth. When we first looked at the house that we're currently living in, the garage was full of everything. And I looked at it and I said, how in the world could anybody let their garage get to this point? My garage is 10 times worse than that. It's terrible. Listen, but I've just come to, <laughs> this is, it is what it is, the, the age old cop out. It is what it is. And every once in a while, I'll open the garage door and I'll start pulling stuff out. And my neighbor asks me, are you moving? Nope, just cleaning. It's terrible. I hate it. But I've become numb to the fact that I have to step over multiple things in order to get my kids' bikes out. It's terrible. You become numb to that fact. These people living in Jerusalem were numb to their living conditions. They were also, hear this, numb to the need of God in their lives. They were just numb to it. They didn't see the need anymore. The temple was an important place for the worshiping of God. It was the representation. It was where God was. We talk about the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. God literally came down and stayed in the Holy of Holies. And here the temple just simply lay there in shambles. They did not care about their relationship with God. It just laid there. They were numb. Number two, I want you to see they were preoccupied. They were preoccupied. Again, if you read the story of Jeremiah, you understand that these people were just simply doing what they wanted to do. They were just living a life that they wanted to live. They were living life fulfilling their own desires. They were uh, uh, doing their own. Now, again, remember, they're poor. It's not like they're living in the lap of luxury. It's not like they're, they're uh, enjoying life and partying every night and all kinds of different things. It wasn't like that, but they were preoccupied. Jeremiah describes them this way. They had eyes, but could not see. They had ears, but could not hear. They had eyes, but they were not seeing what God wanted them to see. They were simply seeing what they wanted to see. They had ears to hear, but yet they weren't hearing God's voice. God saying, please come back to me. I want you to come back to me. Please, I want you to love me, and I want you to be my people. God's continually speaking to them, and they are not hearing they were not looking at their need. They were preoccupied with other things. Number three, I want you to see they were comfortable. Comfortable. God had brought them into a land, and the book of Jeremiah also says this, where they had houses that they did not build. They had food and things to live in, a house to live in. They had, their needs were being met. Again, they weren't necessarily living a life of luxury, but they were comfortable. They didn't have to do anything. Oh, sure, some people would come in and kind of razz them a little bit, and we'll see that throughout the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. They had some enemies around them, but, I mean, it wasn't anything major. They just got comfortable in their state. You say, Pastor Yeomans, what's the history lesson for? 
Why do we need to know this about the Jewish people? And why? Well, how does this apply to my life? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I believe sometimes in our lives we can be, become numb to our spiritual condition. Maybe something's happened in your life, or maybe it's just slowly eroded. Man, when you were a kid, you couldn't wait to go to church. You couldn't wait to go to Sunday school. You couldn't wait to enjoy something about God. I find that in my children right now. They are excited to learn more about God. My kids are full of questions, and I love that. I hope it never goes away. And I just want to continually stir that. Do you remember being like that? Do you remember enjoying those times? Do you remember living your life in full expectation of what God could do in your life? Well, maybe over time, as you became an adult, and things just, you know, you got turned off a little bit here or there. Things just weren't exactly what you thought they were, and you've become numb to your spiritual condition. Sometimes our temple can just lie in ruins. Sometimes our temple can lie in ruins. I hope it hasn't been 50 years. But we can become calloused to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can get preoccupied with what's going on around us. And we can get comfortable in our physical climate. And we assume that we are okay spiritually. Man, listen. I love my work. My work just happens to be at church. But listen, if I'm not careful, me... I get consumed in my work and forget about my spirituality. My relationship with God and I, I enjoy what I do and I can get so consumed and I can get distracted by that. Listen, you can get distracted by all kinds of different things in your life. Beth and I often have different perspectives on the need to rebuild. Several years ago, Actually, it wasn't several. It was a couple years ago. I began looking at my roof and thinking, man, that needs to be replaced and quickly. And I remember bringing it up to Beth and letting her know how much it was going to cost to redo the roof. And she says to me, can it wait a couple more years? She's looking at the roof and she says, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's completely covered. And all, all men, and some of you ladies will know, all men know when a roof needs to be replaced. If the shingles start curling really badly, it's probably time to replace your roof. And we were getting to that point. In fact, a one good storm we had ripped a bunch of shingles off, and that was kind of the end of the straw. We had to replace it. Now, over the last several years, my wife has been looking at our kitchen cupboards. And she's been saying, those need to be repainted. And you know what I say? Can't it wait just a little longer? There's nothing wrong with it. Those kitchen cupboards are perfectly fine. They're nice oak. Maybe we could just restain them or something like that. No, 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 no. They need to be white. We need to brighten this place up. We need to make it look better. And I think, no, that's ridiculous. Listen, I want you to understand this. People have different perspectives on the need to rebuild. So you might be looking at your life and saying, ah, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I've been living this way for this amount of years, and that's kind of the way I am with kitchen cupboards. We've had them this long. If we wait just a little bit longer, they'll be back in style. But no, we have to paint them. 
And so here we are painting our kitchen cupboards. We started at the start of COVID. We're still not done. We drag our feet. Oh, I drag my feet. Something fierce. Because I really don't want to. But listen, that's the way we are in our spiritual life sometimes, isn't it? And we know that we have to do something, but we just sit there and we don't want to do anything. We all have different perspectives on what needs to be rebuilt or resurfaced or you fill in the blank, but is there a way to tell if your spiritual life needs rebuilding? Let me ask you a few questions. When was the last time you asked God about your spiritual condition? When was the last time you brought in someone else to look at your current situation and say, hey, what do you think? The best person to bring into your spiritual situation is God. Hey, God, would you come in and would you tell me, is there anything wrong with my life? I guarantee he'll tell you. I guarantee he'll start laying some things out for you. When was the last time you asked God to search you to see if there be any wicked way in you? Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24, the Bible says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This David, hear me, David, a man after God's own heart. Listen, if anybody in this world was spiritual and didn't need spiritual rebuilding, it was David. But yet here we see David inviting God into his life and saying, God, would you search me? Would you try me? Would you show me? Listen, I've done this in my life and it's not always wonderful. It's not always wonderful to get the bill from God and God say, hey, here's some things that you need to change in your life. But listen, if you will, you will see, you will see great things become of it. When was the last time you asked God if you needed rebuilding? When was the last time you asked him if you were preoccupied? When was the last time you asked him if you were just comfortable? Hosea 10, 12, the Bible says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Listen, it's time to break up your fallow ground. It's time to allow the plow to come in and just disrupt the soil a little bit and turn it over and see if there's some good fruit under there to be had. Don't just lie there fallow. Don't just lie there not being useful. The Bible talks about fruit and bearing fruit, and we have the opportunity to bear fruit. We have the opportunity to be good soil. But so many of us have allowed our ground to have thorns in it, distractions. So many of us have allowed it to become the wayside where it just the seed just lays on top of it, doesn't even impact. You'll have times where you know you're supposed to read your Bible and you do read your Bible, but you just don't get anything out of it. Can I ask you, when was the last time you asked God into your life? And if you're still not convinced, here are a few questions you can ask yourself. Just a few questions to get you thinking about whether or not you need to be rebuilt. Ask yourself this. 
Do I hunger and thirst after God? Do I hunger and thirst after God? And some of you may say, well, I mean, not really. I mean, I don't really, like, want it, like, if I was really thirsty. I, I mean, it's not like, you know, I haven't eaten for several days, not that kind of hunger. I just do it because I have to. No, the Bible talks about in, in the book of Psalms, as a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Do you hunger and thirst after God? Second question is this, do I spend more time laying up treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? Do I spend more time laying treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? Do I passionately look for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ and his returning? Do I passionately look for the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ? Do I look for his return? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, do I constantly look for Jesus? Most of us don't because we want to live our lives the way that we want to. So if you would answer the first question, no, I do not hunger and thirst after God, then can I challenge you, perhaps it's time to rebuild. Perhaps it's time to begin asking God, hey, what is it that I need to rebuild in my life? If you answer, I spend more time laying up treasure on earth than I do in heaven, then perhaps it's time to rebuild. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you say, no, I do not passionately look for the blessed hope of the return of Jesus, then perhaps it's time to rebuild. Listen, we're at a stage in our lives, in our country, in our world, where it's time to rebuild. It's time to get back to not even necessarily normal but it's time to get back to something. I'm excited for our kids to go back to school to gain some structure. The longest March break of all eternity. We need to get back to some structure. We need to rebuild our lives, but listen, not just physically. Where are you spiritually? I want you to look at Ezra chapter 1 again with me. I want you to focus with me on verse 3. The Bible says this. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. Let me ask you, Bible Baptist Church, who is there among you of his people? Who is there among you that will, with God's help, who is willing to start the process of rebuilding? If you have been taken captive by your past or Satan has deceived you, I want you to know you can know the power of God in your life. 
You don't have to live that way. You can have victory. You can rebuild. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that is the very beginning of building. The Bible talks about that being the second birth, being born again, John chapter 3. It is so important that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you understand that he died on the cross for you. He was buried, and three days later, he arose from the dead. Every sin of the entire world was placed upon him And he rose in victory over that sin. All we have to do is accept. Listen, sometimes the process of rebuilding is simply remembering that. Sometimes the process of rebuilding is simply going back to that and remembering why we do what we do. It's because of Jesus Christ. If you need to rebuild today, I pray that you'll start the process. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and for the opportunity that you've given us to be here this morning. Father, there are some, including myself, that need to take stock of our lives and begin to look at how and what we need to do in order to have a closer relationship with you. Some of us have just left our spirituality and our relationship with you and it's just become dry. And others have struggled with other things in their lives and been preoccupied with other things and some have just become comfortable with where they are. Father, today I pray that you convict our hearts. Help us to hunger and thirst after you. Help us to lay up treasure in heaven. and Help us to passionately look for your blessed hope. Father, if there's one here today that doesn't 100% know that if they were to die today, they would go to heaven. I pray that today they would know that based upon your death, burial, and resurrection, you taking the sin for us. Father, I pray that today people would deal with, do business with you and deal with their problems, deal with their sin. Father, I pray all these things in your name. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Again, it's time for us to just make some sort of decision to, this morning, excuse me. And if you have need, you can come to this altar and you can pray. But I'd at least like you to write something down. Some of you may need to say, I see the need to rebuild my life. My heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit have laid waste for too long and I need to rebuild. Some of you maybe need to write down, I am committing today to ask God what steps I need to take to begin rebuilding my life. Let's take some time right now to make some sort of decision.